listening to season two of the Your Brand, Your Story podcast, hosted by Megan Ingram, founder of digital agency, Ingram Digital Consulting. We're bringing on a unique selection of 16 diverse marketing guests in season two to tell their stories. We talk with brand leaders and agency leaders to freelancers and entrepreneurs, featuring voices from brands like Pearl Vision, Public.com, and nonprofits Teach for America and Salvation Army. This season is all about brand storytelling and how you can create connections, campaigns, and community through the power of stories. Sarah Castelline joins the podcast this week. She is an award-winning graphic designer and marketer who has been making things pretty with a purpose for almost eight years. She helps businesses grow through engaging brand style and identity. Due to her diverse marketing background, she understands the role of design in a greater strategy. Today, she discusses with us how she has remained profitable as a design freelancer, and we also talk about building a portfolio of passion freelance projects. How's it going, Sarah? It's going well. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm great to have you on. Yeah. Well, to kick things off, you know, obviously, you know, storytelling is a big theme through this podcast. And I'd love to hear about your specific journey in freelance from, you know, now from full-time creative to now freelance designer. So can you talk a little bit about your journey through all of that? Sure, absolutely. And my journey in particular was not, you know, not linear at all. I mean, few few people's are, I think, at this point. But um, I actually started off not even as a full-time creative um, and was more or less a self-made and self-taught designer. Um, My first job out of college was at an ad agency and I was an assistant. So it was a very, you know, administrative role, but I had access to all of these really creative people. And so I took everyone to lunch, you know, all of the different roles, including the creative directors, but also the account managers and the project managers. And, um, you know, I was just fresh out of college, super uh, eager to learn. And um, most of the time people were so willing to share, um, you know, what they've learned. They spend their whole lives amassing this skill set and this knowledge and all the lessons they've learned. And I think most people are jumping at the opportunity to mentor someone um, in the right, you know, situation. And so I always found that that was amazing to me how many people like didn't take advantage of that. Um, and so I, I just really kind of was like, the more I learned about the the creatives, the more I was like, that's exactly where I want to be. Um, but there was kind of this idea that creativity is binary. You are either a creative or you're not. And it's really hard to jump between the two. And I knew if I wanted to make that jump, I had to make it early. Um, so, I mean, I was commuting into DC. It was like an hour and a half or more, both, you know, each way. So I, I had to like wake up really early, go into a coffee shop and like get a client and make something, um, in the early hours and in the nighttime hours. Um, it was, it was like cheap or free client work in the beginning. It was, um, pulling any projects in school that were somewhat somewhat relevant. And then it was also doing like spec work, you know, coming up with projects that were similar to things that I really wished I could create to just kind of make a body of work, switch into that field, get any creative job that I could. And as soon as I did, it was like, we just took off from there. I just needed one person to give me a chance. Um, and as soon as they did, you know, I, I had to kind of go along the path and find where I fit. Um, but 
uh, really all kind of stemmed from that. And then once you get into a startup world, that's when you're you know, skills really get to be utilized because startups are not, you know, you're one cog in the machine and you only do this one thing, you know, they really can use all the help um, that they can get. So there is no like, oh, you're creative or you're not like you can do all kinds of different things. So I got to flex all the different muscles of all the things I was interested in, you know, related to marketing. And so I got to learn a lot more about the strategy piece and, uh, you know, the marketing piece. And I've, I've been working for several years now to pull them all together to have kind of a well-rounded strategic approach to design. Um, and that to me is the most fun is, is all of that coming together now. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally awesome. And I, I like that you touched on like the startup environment, because that is a great opportunity to, to like, kind of learn a lot about a lot of different things because you kind of get thrown into a lot of different roles and hats, so to speak. Whether you're talking about different sizes of companies, different types of brands, different types of roles, whether you're a freelancer, solopreneur, full-time employee, there is so much value in education in having different types of roles, different types of projects, different types of working experiences. You learn so much about what you like, what you don't like, what are the things that you want to focus on, what not focus on. Listen in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Talk a little bit about some of the lessons you learned as you were kind of going through that journey uh, to now, you know, obviously being a full-time uh, freelancer. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, like that you're the one who's living it day in and day out. So, you know, it really other people's opinions, you know, take them with a grain of salt because you're living it. No one understands your vision, but you, no one understands your dream, but you. And so I think having that, taking that time to, you know, self-reflect and and really think about what's important to you because prosperity and balance uh, and success are different. To everyone. Um, so deciding what you really want and what your dream is and going for it, I think having that clarity is something that is like the hardest step for people. And I think once you have that clarity, then you're so much more able to achieve it because you can go, okay, well, now that I have even a rough trajectory, it doesn't have to be like a super concrete thing that never changes, you know, like your priorities shift as you get older, but um, or could shift as you get older, but having that trajectory, you can kind of clear away everything else that's a distraction from that and focus and move forward. And I think if you just do a little bit every day towards that, you really move the needle and you see that progress over time. But I think most people don't get past that. Well, what do I really want step? And they let everyone else kind of decide for them. Um, And I think that's the hardest part about entrepreneurship is that you have this like you, you see things differently than other people and you really have to believe in your vision, even if other people don't understand it. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Great advice there. You t- I know you talked a little bit about working in a startup environment. I know you've worked on a variety of brands of all sizes from large to startup to medium size. Do you have a preference and w- what do you enjoy about different working on different types of brands and sizes? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I'll preface this by saying, I think you need both. I think like to have a well-rounded like portfolio of work, I think the bigger companies can afford you, they can compensate you well. And I think sometimes having a few of those, um, 
balances you out financially so that you can give a little more help to some of those, you know, smaller companies. But I think, you know, the smaller companies are so special because you can really make such a huge impact for them. Um, you can really make a couple designs that transform their whole business. And um, that is so impactful and it's so fulfilling. And so I think those are definitely kind of my favorite to work on, but I think you do need both to kind of keep, you know, keep the lights on at the same time. <laughs> and, I, and I agree with that. I've had experiences both working on the large side of things and small, and I agree you learn different things from both and both have unique things that are, that are really fun and cool about them. And on the opposite side, some challenges that are more, you know, that are tough. Um, so it's kind of like a give and take with what you choose, but I do agree that having a well-rounded experience and working on different types of things um, teaches you a lot. Definitely. Like some of the resources you get access to when yeah. you're working with a big company <laughs> and you can learn and take that experience and then help some of the smaller companies for sure. Yeah. Agreed. What advice do you have for freelancers who are trying to decide between a niche and going after businesses more broadly? My advice for that would be, you know, don't narrow yourself down too quickly um, so that you scare off like, you know, a bunch of work. But I definitely think you should be working toward a niche, like basic, you know, based on what really lights you up when you're working on it and what your superpowers are, what you find that you're like, you know what, my strengths really lie here. I say definitely start, start to like, you know, niche down based on those things. Um, but I wouldn't start out right off the gate. If you're a brand new freelancer, I wouldn't say like, no, I only do, you know, tech web design, you know, for this specific type of company. I mean, if you have enough clients and you can just do that and you know for sure, you know, right off the bat that that's exactly what you're good at and that's the only thing you want to do, then great, you know. But I think in general, for most people, I think it takes a little time to really find what those things are. Freelance focus to specialize or not. An Upwork study found that specialized freelancers had great success with 50% of freelancers providing skilled services such as computer programming, marketing, IT, and business consulting, up from 45% in 2019. The decision to whether you should specialize or not really comes down to how much do you love this one thing? If you really, whether it's design, you know, analytics, writing, if you really love that one thing, you want to focus on it, maybe a specialized career path is down for you. But in order to determine that, you really need to figure out what is it that you like? What is it that you don't? What are the types of marketing projects and experiences that you want to have? Maybe you're best more suited to a variety of different projects to be more of a marketing Swiss Army knife of source. Figure out what that is that you're passionate about and pursue a career path down that road. It, it takes some time to get there. No, I, and I think that's, that's good advice especially when you're starting out. It's kind of the thing. I always like to think of it as looking for qualities, right? You want in brands and people as opposed to like this very targeted industry or thing um, and mm -hmm. kind of getting people who align with the types of qualities that you're looking for um, more, you know, in a more broad sense um, and kind of start. From yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's so smart. I know you have a personal passion of working on feminine brands and I did, you know, obviously I wanted to, you know, kind of learn, have you talk a little bit more about that and learn a little bit about that, but 
How do you navigate your personal passion freelance projects versus trying to just make it as a freelancer? Yeah, I'm, that's such a great, like, that's the, the number one question, right? Um, I think for, for me in particular, I am now at a point because I worked for eight years within the creative industry, learning as much as I could um, before going off on my own. I think now I'm fortunate to be in a position where I have a network, I have a personal brand that I've been building for a long time. I have um, kind of a, you know, a reputation for, for my work and I have a body of work that you can see um, and confidence in my skill set and, and in what I can bring to the table that I think you don't always have when you first start out. Um, so like I said, when I first started out, you are doing maybe some discount things just to get your foot in the door. Um, I don't think you have to do that forever, but uh, you know, I think fortunately, once you've been doing it for long enough and you have developed your superpowers and you kind of know what differentiates you and where you lie and who, who you're going to gel with and who you're not going to gel with, I think you're more in a position to be choosy about what projects you take on. And so that is the biggest joy that I'm finding in where I am now is that I, I sort of feel like I had my years where I was just kind of like learning and doing as much as I could. And now I'm in a position where I can kind of raise my prices, um, you know, make my time a little bit more valuable. Um, and then, you know, saying no is so empowering at this stage. Mm -hmm. So I really, really believe in it. I really do believe in what you kind of said is align with customers that you know are going to value your work and respect your time and respect what you know your expertise and i can spot red flags a mile away now so i can i can tell right off the bat if a customer or a client is going to just kind of be a nightmare um and so <laughs> yeah. i think at this stage like i said i think i'm fortunate enough that like i've been able to i'm working to to increase this and and do more of this and and kind of figure out you know uh what my balance is and, and how much I can increase my prices and still, and still be in a good zone. Um, but yeah, I think some of that comes with just experience that you're able to, to be a little bit more choosy and know yourself and know those values that you're going to connect with and, and things like that. Yeah. And I love how you say, say no, because I always say like, it's a process where you're both, it's a, it should be about both people parties involved. Right. Where mm -hmm. it's not just you, you know, they're looking at you and determining whether you're going to, you know, be the right freelancer for the project. It's also you evaluating whether there's, they're the type of person that you want to work with. So I, you know, I, I always encourage freelancers to look, you know, don't, you know, it's a two way street there. Like if it's a project that you don't think is the right fit for whatever reason, maybe, you know, maybe it's not the right project or the right client or things like that. Um, you, you know, you want to make sure that that it fits for both parties involved so that it will be a successful project. Work with people who align with what you stand for. For Ingram Digital Consulting, it's be curious, be creative, be bold, be socially conscious. When you're going through the client vetting process, be very careful. It's a time for you to evaluate are they a good fit for you? Are you a good fit for them? It's a two-way street. So make sure that you're looking carefully and you're identifying whether these are truly the types of people that you want to work with. 
Because believe me, the red flags will show up later on. It won't be a long-term project. You won't get a referral out of it. And, and at the end of the day, you want to be building long-term, positive, sustainable relationships. Those are the types of people that you want to be invested in with. Those are the types of people that you want to work together with as partners. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, if you, if you know that it's not going to be a good style fit or timeline fit, you know, you know that the work will suffer. Um, and, and like you said, you want it to be a successful project. So I think emphasizing that is a great way to, to gracefully decline, you know, just because we're saying no, doesn't mean we're, we're being rude, but I think it is just like such a powerful thing to be able to say, you know, I just don't think this is a great fit. You know, maybe here are some people I recommend that you work with, um, and, and just move on. And then everybody's better off, not just you, not just them. Like everyone. Honestly, (laughs) as someone who works a lot with freelancers, I've gotten some really great, even referrals that way where freelancer was like, Hey, like this may not be right for me, but then I've, I've gotten to meet some new cold, new people that way too. So it's still a good opportunity to kind of build relationships and network, which, you know, is a huge part of, you know, being a freelancer. Yeah, definitely. So what has worked for you to help you find these passion projects? It's a great question. Um, I don't, I don't know how they like, well, so for example, I see a lot of small businesses on just Instagram and, you know, on social media um, and really small, like brand new businesses you know, a lot of them might not be able to kind of afford me. Um, but, um, some, I try to reach out to some at different times when I, when I have the ability to, and and maybe do some discounted work here and there for different, you know, female owned small businesses, just because I love what they're doing or I love the mission. Um, but I have been fortunate to find, um, just through kind of my network, just people I've either known from, you know, college or high school or, or working who, you know, I think entrepreneurship seems like it's the way that people find balance in their lives sometimes when they can't find it in a corporate situation. It, you know, entrepreneurship allows them to maybe follow a passion, fill a need that they've seen, you know, a gap in some market that they feel like they can fill. And so it's really cool that, you know, it just seems like it's everywhere. And so um, I've been able to just kind of reach out to people who I've seen have a really good idea. Um, And so one of my favorite clients right now, she was an Amazon developer for years and she just left, completely left to uh, sell headbands on the internet. They're like adult headbands. They're beautiful. Um, And she found like such a great uh, gap in the market because most of the headbands that are competitive with, with what she's selling are way more expensive. Um, and hers are still, you know, like they're good, they're great quality and, um, and all that. And they're not cheap, but she's just found that sweet spot. And I told her right away, I said, you know, like you have something here and I really want to help you. And so I offered to help her, you know, pro bono a little bit in the beginning. And she saw the growth, she saw the results and just in general from her own, you know, success and being able to grow, she was like, I can afford to take you on. And I really want to, um, you know, let's continue to work together. You know, you've helped me see that this business really could be something. Um, and so, you know, 
finding those people is sometimes just like being able to recognize when you look around within your own network and you see different people doing different things. I think it's just being able to recognize which opportunities are really going to just mesh well with you. And I just knew from the beginning, I I was like, I would do all of this for free because I love your brand. I love you. We just, we clicked, we were both helping each other. It was just empowering on both levels. You know, everybody was just having a good time. And I think that just kind of translates into like magic in the work, you know? Yeah, no, that's well said. I completely agree. And those are the types of, and I always talk about like building long-term relationships. When you, when you work with people who you kind of sync with in that way, it makes doing that and having more long-term relationships much easier and much more likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. In those scenarios, it becomes a no brainer. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I know like, you know, for freelancers, often we talk about the business of the business you know, it's, it's getting, wearing the hat of, you know, now I got to manage this thing. Now I got to, you know, like actually manage a business. And so I did want to talk a little bit um, about, you know, the dreaded word of ROI and how you remain profitable as a design freelancer, you know, day to day. Yeah. Well, so one thing um, that I recommend doing if you are full-time at a company and you're thinking about taking the plunge that I did um, that was just kind of like risk mitigation on my part was I, you know, if you're already set on leaving, potentially it cannot hurt to negotiate with your current employer. So, you know, I had built a great relationship with, uh, the startup that I was at and they're very like innovative, um, forward thinking people and I have a great relationship with them. So I said, Hey, this is what I ultimately want to do. These are my, this is my, you know, dream. These are my goals, but I think, you know, this could be a win-win for both of us because I can continue to give you these high value items that you, that are the the most important thing that you get from me day to day, being a a full-time employee, um, at a lower cost. And then I can have kind of, um, a safety net going into my own thing. Um, and so my, uh, boss at the time, his response was amazing. He was like, you're really good at what you do and uh, we're definitely going to support you. And I, I knew this day would come uh, and he was like, all right, let's do this. Um, but you know, you have to raise your prices. You have to make sure that you value yourself. And I was like, okay, great. You know, sounds good. And so going into it, I had at least one steady recurring client. Um, and that, alone can be a huge starting point for you and also can allow you to be a little bit more choosy about who you take on. And so I wasn't, you know, desperate to like, you know, add new clients to my plate and and grab whoever I could, I could wait it out and kind of get clients that I was really passionate about. And and back to kind of what we were saying about saying no or, or knowing your vision and, and, and being a little bit selective. Um, you know, I I always try to remind myself, like when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So sometimes when you feel bad about saying no, it's like, well, but remember, like you have to remain open for the opportunities that you really, really want. Um, And so, uh, I mean, I don't think that that will last forever being, you know, working with your, your employer, um, because it is a little bit of a gray area because, you know, you were an employee and now you're a freelancer and you definitely want to be careful not to um, be treated like an employee, but paid like a freelancer. So you do have to really advocate for yourself and 
And that transition can be a little, like I said, a gray area, but it's a great starting point. Um, and then in general, if you can't do that, um, yeah, I think kind of like you said, building those relationships is really important. And, and I've often found that if you just do one project for someone and then you do a great job, like they come back to you and you, you end up with recurring work because just the nature of today, there's so much design and marketing work to be done with, with everything being so visual and everything being online um, and businesses have so much that they need because there's this expectation that brands are going to be cohesive and well-branded at every touch point in the customer journey. And so, you know, that means everything from if you're e-commerce, you know, like the packaging that you get when you make an order to the social media that you see to the confirmation email. So there's, there's a never ending list of things that a company is going to need. So if you just do one project, well, there's a high chance that it ends up being a recurring project. Um, and, and you can just build up your, your list that way. Nope. That's, I, I think that's well said, really good advice for, especially when you're starting out. What are some challenges that you've run into as you're balancing profitability and just all, all the various things that you have to do to manage a freelance business? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the the pro is that you can choose what you want to do, but the con is that every job you turn down, that is money. So I really feel like you are constantly balancing, you know, your work-life balance or your, your financial goals. So you're constantly weighing those two things. And I'm guilty of this. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and freelancers are too. It, it's very easy to overwork yourself. Very, very easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, you, it's, it's, I talk about saying no, but it's also really hard to do, especially if you want to do everything, you know? And so I think, um, it's important to, like I said, remember what your goals are, what success means to you. Sometimes it might mean, you know, I want to take a season of uh, a little bit less work. And that might mean a little bit less money for this season, but like my mental health is going to benefit from that. Or this might be a season where I'm just really going to power through and do a ton and do all of the things. Um, and and maybe be a little uncomfortable, but my business is going to move forward because of that. So I think you're always evaluating yeah. um, these pros and cons. And then I think the ultimate goal everyone should be working towards is, like I said, getting getting to a point where you're confident in your skills, you have a network, you have um, a differentiator, and you feel like you can kind of raise your prices and then also maybe bring in some other types of of income where like maybe you get speaking gigs based on a certain topic that you know something about. You can teach um, a group of professionals how to do something or teach a course or, you know, get some sort of profit multiplier so that you can do two of those a year and drastically reduce the amount of clients you have to take on to reach this revenue goal. Like I think there are ways to be smart about it. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now is determining my like ideal pricing. Um, so that I can do a little less work and still meet my financial goals. And then also um, finding other creative ways to, to do things other than just your hourly core product, which again, limits you because then you're only able to make money the hours you are working. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the pricing part because that's a key part too. And not overworking yourself to death, because if you're taking lower rates, that means you're not coming in at the, at the place you want to be. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, really making sure when you're having those negotiations and conversations that you're coming in at the right number for you so that you can have that, that freedom and that flexibility, uh, at, at, to do the projects that you want to work on and, you know, not, not feel like, you're just working, you know, crazy amount of hours every day and stressing yourself out over it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's so easy to do. And it's, you, you really have to just value yourself and, and say, no, like this work is worth it. I have to, um, these, these are the rates. I, I, someone gave me great advice. They were like, say, these are the rates. You don't say like, you know, these are my rates. Or, these are the rates. They're non-negotiable. If they don't fit your budget, like I'm, you know, that that's unfortunate, but you know, don't be lowering your rates for people because that doesn't work out in the end. Pricing can be one of the toughest things as a freelancer, especially when you're first starting out. Some pricing lessons of mine as you kind of figure out what is the right price you should come in at, you know, where should you price out? What types of different offers should you have? One, define your monetary goals. Well, we can offer so many marketing services under the sun, We need to, again, define and tailor services that consider the service value, the time constraints, the marketing tools, the education needed, the scope. Make sure you're thinking about all those things when you're setting your goals. And then secondly, and probably even more importantly, have confidence when you're presenting that to a client. Don't be intimidated when proposing a price, don't let someone, you know, come in and make you unsure of the price that you set. Set that goal, know that goal, and come in with that confidence. And believe me, that will come through in a conversation and you'll get your clients to agree, convert, and win the business. (laughs) Totally, totally agree. Well, last question, you know, obviously uh, we're big on trends. I, I love marketing trends. What's one design trend or maybe a few that you foresee right now as you're looking through, looking to uh, the back half of this year? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, some of the ones that have like already been in play that I've seen are um, definitely serif type, like custom serif type for like logos and things like that. The design world is like blowing up about those. I think that's something that people are really into and you get something that's really unique to your business um, either. And then colors wise, it's either like all neutrals, um, like beige and black and white, or you're going with these like sickeningly sweet, bright pastels that those two kind of vibes, like one or the other, uh-huh. those are the the design trends that I'm currently seeing. And then I think future wise, you know, we've already started to see a lot of just like movement as another design element, which never used to exist when everything was like print. And even in the beginning of everything being digital, Mm -hmm. now it's like, anytime I make anything, the question is, you know, can I make it a GIF? Uh, And, you know, like, can I add movement into it? And it can be in a very simple way. And I think it often should be in a very simple way. But if you can add movement, people really love that. And I think that's so cool that you have this like 3D way to design. You're not just working with like this 2D, like, okay, colors and fonts. You've got like movement where you're drawing the eye, um, you know, things like that. So I think people are really going to be 
everything's going to be moving. Maybe we all have the attention span of like, you know, toddlers, but we love when things move. <laughs> so true. And, and I like the call out about the gift because it is like, you know, the animation, the movement part of it is definitely something I've seen in myself that, you know, a lot of people are going towards that, um, especially with digital and social kind of moving in the direction they've been moving over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've seen it a lot, particularly in email marketing. Okay. Um, and I really think, I really think designers like brand new designers should really try their hand at email marketing. I don't know if this is being pushed in design schools at all. I don't think it is, but I think that's like, if, if you can get really good at that, that is such a coveted skill because yeah. it really benefits, you know, uh, companies. It's a really powerful marketing tool. And I see some companies that do it really, really well. They have beautiful email marketing, but I would say the majority of companies have there, there's a ton of room for them to improve their email marketing, um, in terms of design. It's like, they're using like just very classic grid layouts with like a ton of text and they're not, you know, I found that there's just a ton of um, opportunity in that platform to do really cool things. Like I said, movement, you know, like really cool visuals um, and make really striking uh, art that, you know, converts. So I just think that's, you know, the thing that every designer should be just trying their hand at. Yeah, that's a great call out. I like that. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Where can people find you at? Um, so they can find me on Instagram. I post a lot of my work there. It's uh, Sarah Casterline Design. And then also on TikTok, that is the same handle, Sarah Casterline Design. Um, and then they can see kind of my full body of work on my website, sarahcasterline.com. Amazing. Well, definitely go check her out. And again, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I definitely wish you best of luck the rest of this year. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Brand, Your Story podcast. Find us on social at The Data Outlier and our brand handle at Ingram Digital. To learn more about the podcast episode, go to www.yourbrandyourstorypodcast.com and continue the conversation or use the hashtag Your Brand, Your Story.